welcome once again to the Movie A Day podcast. We're moving on now to week six through the Coffee and Heroes Network. So, a little bit of a theme this week, which is going to be the monster movie. So, this will actually allow me to cover horror movies, thrillers, sci-fi movies, and good old monster destruction movies. So, plenty of scope here. We've got family movies, we've got hard R-rated movies. So, we're going to kick things off with the first movie in my week for monster movies, which is Hollow Man from the year 2000. You know what, Matt? It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. So when I'm doing these reviews, I'm always looking at fan posters and stuff like that as well. And for some movies, you get some amazing fan posters. For some, you can't get anything outside of the studio. Now with this one, it's a very generic poster. It's just the two main stars um, cut out on the poster. Little hint of the effects. And that's it. It's a great shame, because this is a very tense, well-made movie. It falls under the idiom of monster movie due to the transformation of Kevin Bacon's character from slightly wacky, arrogant and ambitious scientist to that bump-in-the-night monster that you fear. Watching Hollow Man, for the first time since I saw it in the theatre when it was first released, it struck me actually how well the special effects have aged. This would have been around the start of the CGI boom creeping into every movie. And the effects of the transformation from flesh and bone to invisible, as well as the various effects to let us see the invisible man, such as underneath water or splattered in blood, are all very well done. It takes a lot of its cue from aliens, you know, from the motion tractor to the he's right there beside you moment only to be above you, and the presence of a strong female character who saves the day, Ala Ripley. suppose if you're going to draw inspiration from somewhere, it may as well be from the best. It's a movie that also answers questions about what What would we do if we were invisible to the naked eye? Given that it's from the director of Basic Instinct and Showgirls, Paul Verhoeven, it should come as no surprise that he comes up with a couple of variations on the popular answer of sneak into the girls' locker room. Strong performances across the board here, with my own personal 80s crush, Elizabeth Shue, in the title role, and Kevin Bacon playing the driven, win-at-all-cost scientist. It's also worth watching just to see Josh Brolin as a soft-spoken scientist who is a little bit of a coward in it, bearing in mind the gruff, deep-voiced, tough character that we know from the movies today. Overall, a well-made sci-fi horror flick, 7 out of 10. So we move on to movie 2 for this week, which is Godzilla from 2014, and this was watched in 3D. The self-predator of yours. Doctor, do you really think he has a chance? The arrogance of men is thinking nature is in our control, and not the other way round. Let them fight. So in comparison to Hollow Man, when I was looking around at fan posters, finding them is very, very easy task. I implore you to Google posters for this movie. Some of them are fantastic. My own personal favourite is this sort of fire smoke billow effect over the city, which sort of culminates in almost a Godzilla-esque shaped cloud. When I caught Godzilla in the theatre, I didn't really know quite what to make of it. My only exposure... At this point was the Emmerich movie from 1998. The trailers were pretty vague. You know, I was getting ready for a masterpiece in destruction, so to speak. But the movie clearly had other ideas. With the Godzilla character, Hollywood has always treated him as a villain. You know, an abomination of nature, a man-made monster that must be destroyed. If you think back to that 98 movie, they basically chase him around New York until they destroy him. But in his native Japan, Godzilla is treated as a hero who regularly fends off threats from other worlds and other species. This is a legacy in history that the director, Gareth Edwards, clearly respects. I don't want to say too much more than that because I don't want to give too much away about the movie if you haven't seen it. 
you know, at first I thought the trailers were just being coy about, you know, showing too much of Godzilla, but they were actually being very clever and diversionary, something that isn't always present in modern day movie marketing. Just go into this movie the notion that Godzilla is a hero, an ancient protector, and you will enjoy the hell out of it. Special mention to the 3D for this movie, it really does add to it. You know, in fact, it was almost like being a bystander at different points as you would be looking up at Godzilla through the gathered crowds, with some of them standing in the way, slightly obscuring your view. All in all, a slow-building, tense monster movie with some amazing payoff action in the last 30 minutes, highly recommended, and a really great time to watch this. Then jump on to the sequel, King of the Monsters, before we get Godzilla vs. Kong, hopefully at some point this year. But for Godzilla itself, which kicked this all off, 8 out of 10. Next up, we have Men in Black, 1997. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. Again, I found a really cool fan poster of this, which is a simply just a picture of the neuralizer that essentially wipes people's memories. Very simple, has that as the main uh, focus on the poster. Title, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, what more do you want? Men in Black surprised everyone when it came along. It was released amidst the peak of the X-Files popularity, you know, everyone's enjoying the possibility of government conspiracies, alien cover-ups, mysterious clean-up agents in suits, and thinking that we were not alone in the universe. Men in Black was a refreshing change of pace. It took the idea, it made it comedic, hired a trusted hand in Tommy Lee Jones, and at the time Will Smith was on the rise, and paired them with the director of the Adams Family movies. The results were always going to be entertaining, inventive, and maybe just a little bit weird. The script is as sharp as a tack, you know, playing off of Jones' deadpan delivery and Smith's more showy and obvious comedic delivery. There are nods to aliens living among us, citing the possibility that Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan are just two examples of people with supernatural abilities. Not too much of a stretch given their extraordinary talents. There's great visual gags such as the power of the pea shooter gun and the identity of Frankie the Snitch and special effects, which actually still hold up today as well. Men in Black is a great movie, a family-friendly monster movie, and overall just plain entertaining. It has a straightforward plot, easy-to-follow action, great chemistry between the leads, and charmed by the bucket load. If only any of the sequels could have followed suit. 8 out of 10. Next up is a little bit of a weird one, and I'll be surprised if a lot of you guys have actually heard of this, but... This is Life Force from 1985. I mean, in a sense, we're all vampires. We drain energy from other life forms. The difference is one of degree. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form, and totally dangerous. We're even to begin with this movie. This is bar none the single strangest, most bug nuts insane movie I have seen for a long, long time. If you buy into the concept, the production values and the performances in the movie, then you will have a great time. I certainly did. I'll try to explain the plot as simply as possible, but it won't be easy. The movie begins with a space mission to Halley's Comet. The astronauts there encounter an alien ship which they proceed to board. While searching it, they come across hundreds of dead alien lifeforms and three perfectly preserved human beings in cryogenic chambers. They decide to bring one of the alien lifeforms back to their ship, as well as the three, quote, humans. The ship heads back to Earth, but it's soon discovered that everyone on the ship is dead, with the three cryogenic humans unmoved and unharmed. But one of the astronauts has managed to make it back to Earth in an escape pod. He has a story to tell. This is all just in the first ten minutes. 
From there, the movie tackles ideas of vampires, life forces within humans, alien takeovers, riots in London, mental institutes that Patrick Stewart no less is in charge of, millennia-old prophecies, all the while having a very beautiful and very much naked vampire girl slash alien walking around the streets seducing men at will. I've barely scratched the surface of this movie, to be honest. It really does deserve to be seen for itself. You know, I'm going to be ordering the Blu-ray at some point because there's actually an extended cutout there and I also would like to see the making of documentaries with the filmmakers to see just how many drugs they were on when this thing was made. It's such originality though because you genuinely have no idea where the movie will go next and how it will all end. Special notice as well to the poster artwork which is gloriously explicit and old school. In some foreign markets it's actually titled Space Vampires but if you do search it out in the UK it goes by Life Force. This deserves to be seen at least once by everyone as it is one of those movies that is so bad that it turns all the way around to be amazing. And that kind of filmmaking you simply have to admire. A one of a kind monster movie. 10 out of 10. Brackets. Or maybe 1 out of 10. I still haven't fully decided. But damn it was an experience. Next up I go from a movie that probably not many people have seen to let's be honest a movie you've all seen. Ghostbusters 1984. 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Similar to, you know, a movie like Godzilla, Ghostbusters is a movie you can search for fan posters and you will spend hours looking over the many hundreds of creative efforts from talented people all around the world. This is a movie that hit the public consciousness in a way that very few movies ever do, and it is something that endures to this day. There's a simple reason for this. Ghostbusters is as close to perfect as movies get. This is a movie that is so revered because of its 80s roots and the perfect cast. If this was made today with state-of-the-art effects and a cast of people like Seth Rogen, McLovin and Brett Ratner directing, it would be awful to behold. Luckily, they got it perfect the first time, and this timeless property should never have to be remade. There was an all-female cast adaptation that I personally haven't seen, so I can't really comment on that. You know, that's some people love it, some people hate it. It definitely was a polarizing movie, but again, I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. I'm here to chat about the original. Following three scientists who study the paranormal, they decide to go into business for themselves when the university they're working in cuts off their funding. Sensing this as a unique and lucrative market, they set themselves up as the Ghostbusters. Perfect timing, too, as all the ghouls want to come out to play in New York City. Bill Murray, of course, steals the show. But this is a collaborative effort with the script, direction and acting all just jiving to the letter. All together now, it's true your honour, this man has no dick. Best put down ever, and in a PG movie no less, that one will be hard to beat. 10 out of 10. For the next movie, we have Let the Right One In. This is the Swedish original from 2008. Are you a vampire? I live off blood, yes. Are you dead? No, can't you tell? But are you old? I'm 12, but I've been 12 for a long time. Every so often, a foreign movie comes along that transcends borders, language and culture. There are such powerful and well-made movies with universal themes that they hit the public zeitgeist, no matter where you're from. Old Boy is a great example. The many movies of John Woo, the Spanish masterpieces of Pedro Almodovar, the French New Wave of Jean-Luc Godard, A small Swedish movie involving a young vampire and a slightly disturbed 12-year-old boy fits squarely within the masterpieces listed above. In fact, it may even claim to 
be one of the best vampire movies of all time. And that's not a statement of hyperbole, simply one of fact. Let the Right One In is horrific, sweet, disturbing, hopeful, damning, violent, funny, all of the above and much more. The story centres around Oscar, a 12-year-old boy who lives in a small town in Sweden. We are first introduced to him practising standing up to a bully in his mirror with a small knife in his hand. We see he is living with a single mother, has no friends, is intelligent and curious, and the victim of obscene bullying at school. Then Ellie arrives, a seemingly similarly aged girl with her guardian in the apartment next to Oscar. They begin to strike up a friendship in the small park outside their homes. Oscar can only meet her at night, however, and notices that her windows and doors are all boarded up to let no daylight in. Something is not right. This is a move that tackles the idea of vampirism, not as the sexy and sensual gift of immortality, but as one of hunger, animalistic tendencies, pain and suffering, and a curse rather than a blessing. It is one of the most beautifully shot films you will ever see. You know, any freeze frame of this movie would make a great poster, and also one of the best written and acted. The cast is comprised of unknowns and it all rests on the shoulders of these two young actors in the title roles. They are pitch perfect and the depth of their friendship for each other is wholly believable and understandable. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour and search it out. Don't watch the trailer, don't read up on it, just go in as uninformed as possible and savour every second. Absolutely essential viewing, 10 out of 10. So we're going to finish off Monster Week with Starship Troopers 1997. This is for all you new people. I have only one rule. Everybody fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll kill you myself. Welcome to the Roughnecks. And in a nice piece of completely unplanned symmetry, my Monster Movie Week both begins and ends with a Paul Verhoeven joint. This one, however, is a Monster War movie, and if that isn't an official movie genre, it really should be. Starship Troopers is just a fun, R-rated popcorn flick. Yes, there are deeper themes at work here, such as the effect of war on the young, the government's blatant pandering to the masses with ideas of service and defending your country, and just how ridiculous the whole concept of the armed services are in general. But my advice? Ignore all that. Grab a few beers, a big bowl of popcorn, and just sit back and enjoy. The plot, what there is of it anyway, is that mankind is at war with a race of oversized bugs from across the galaxy. When the bugs send an asteroid towards Earth killing half the population, the human race decides to go to war with them, invading their homeland with as many toys and weapons as possible. This all leads to some pretty awesome action. Admittedly not for the faint-hearted, this is an uber-violent movie. And to be honest, the bug design and special effects work still stands today. That's actually very impressive for a movie which unbelievably is over 20 years old. Bottom line, pretty people, pretty special effects, pretty cool action, pretty cool movie. Who would have thought? 7 out of 10. So that's going to bring an end to Monster Week then. I'm going to be back next week. I'm actually going to be focusing on documentaries of all things. And I'll hit you up with 7 new reviews. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Hopefully you discover a new movie or two to add to your list. Until next time. Mm -hmm.